Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And everyone, and welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks so much once again for joining us. And we have a special Ruck today because it is the t- return. We need Alfie Reynolds, our producer, to add fanfares, drum rolls, because the great man is back. Stephen Jones, Sunday Times rugby correspondent, returns. How are you, Steve? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, sorry, what was your name? <laughs> it's been um, a while. I, uh, fr- frankly, in the end... Uh, the pressure from the public forced me back. Yeah. I, they've been outside my house, all down the street. Uh, I've been mobbed in pubs and clubs, wherever I've been. Uh, online, Twitter, all forms of social media, telephone calls. In the end, it was just got too much, so I've had to come back. Um, it's nice to see you all. Um, I see I got a microphone, which I didn't have uh, before I went away. But uh, thank you very much. You can um, actually follow through with your comeback, unlike some people in the UK at the moment. Oh, exactly. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not like uh, Boris. I am staying. I am. I'm not coming back for good. Yeah. Uh, you but, got your hundred um, votes, did you? Sadly, I leave it. Leaving rugby to you lot when I was away, it's all gone to to hell. So um, <laughs> that's the last time I have a long stop, long long break. I can well, tell how you. You, that's what I was going to ask you, Steve, because you've been in the game a hell of a long time. And, what are you feeling about rugby at the moment? Because Alex and I, when we've chatted on these pods this season, of having this discussion about off the field, it almost feels like it couldn't be worse. But mm. on the field, it's really exciting, that's particularly the, in the Prem. That's the great um, puzzle or the great irony about it. It's it, it has never been better. It's almost like since the time a few uh, some time ago when Quinns came back from Bristol from being dead and and went on to win it, and there's been loads of brilliant games. I mean, it, I have to say, when I first started watching covering um, Premiership games. You know, so one in six was really good, or maybe one and a half in six. Now, so every week there's a big comeback, as there was on Saturday in Exeter, or you know there was the the, the Bath comeback against uh, um, against Saracens. It, it is unbelievable. It's very positive. Um, I think part of the reason is that the laws and the way they're refereed, they don't let you shut the game down now. But th- you know, thank goodness for that. On the other hand, you've got this disaster. Now, the Wasps, in many ways, are, I am not my favourite club, but they're an absolutely magnificent club. And all this stuff about people attacking them and, and Rob Baxter and Tony Rowe getting on their case, that just denies 
Uh, um, uh, I mean, Exeter have only just started contributing in terms of trophies. Wasps have been doing stuff for hundreds, of, almost an, over 100 years. They're a great club, and I'm bitterly, bitterly sad to see them go. And the same with Worcester. Everyone says with Worcester, if they were run properly, they could be a going concern. So the two charlatans have, have messed that up. I have to say, I've no idea how Wasp could be 100 million. Uh, I've lost 100 million in income. That is heck of a lot. But yeah. I do know this, that I've seen some figures and what, what, what they lost in terms of their casino and their hotel and all the ancillary things. It was just brutal. It was brutal in terms of what happened during COVID. So I do have a sympathy for them. Both teams must come back and they must give them every chance. Keep the peace here and give them every chance to bounce back. Well, we're going to try this week um, to be a bit less admin, administration and, and administrations heavy because we've realised we've been doing a bit of that a lot this season yeah. for obvious reasons because it's been the news of the season, hasn't it? But So we're going to try and be positive. We're going to try and have lots of rugby on this, but yeah. good to have you back, Steve. Thank and you. on those two notes, just to cover that off, it seems like we may be getting some news that's positive on Worcester this week about yes. them being bought out potentially... And possibly more negatively, it looks like Wasps will be suspended fully for the season by the end of the week because, as we said on previous pods, if they weren't going to make their Newcastle match, that would kind of be curtains for the season. So a bit of bad and a bit of good there. But yeah, on the pod this week, we're going to speak to Sale Sharks utility back Sam James following yesterday's match against Harlequins, talking all about Northern rugby trying to grow it up there. Their game against Saracens this weekend. Good chat with him coming up. Jess Hayden will pop in to discuss the end of the pool stages of the Women's World Cup and look forward to those quarterfinals, which are all at the dead of night, I think. And then we'll look back on all the action in the Gallagher Premiership and discuss the mooted idea of central contracts. We think as well, Steve, you might say something nice about Welsh rugby, so stay tuned for that. As always, we'll name our god, goddess or devil of the week. But first, it was another entertaining round of Premiership action, so we'll start with that next. Right, Steve, so talk to us. Where were you at the weekend? Where did you go? Exeter, Saracens, um, place you always love to go. I love to go there slightly less, though. They boo the opposition, but a really, really cracking game. Much bigger crowd than, the, than, the, than they've been having lately. Savage start by Exeter. But in, during which they didn't um, score enough points, major comeback from from uh, Saracens, dominated second and third quarters, uh, defended brilliantly, and then this sensational ending where where Saris are almost there. They just almost scored the key try three or four times. Then the big comeback or the, the, this is just waves of attack from um, Exeter. They go into the lead. And then from, from, not from nowhere, but one last uh, charge by Saracens gives them the position to kick the goal. Alex Good comes up, and is there anyone you'd rather have to put it over, even though, he's, even though it was his first kick of the year, puts it right down the middle. And you could tell immediately how much it meant to Saracens. They went absolutely bonkers. Two stats, well, a couple, three stats, I think, on that. Alex Good equaled Chris Chesney's record for Saracens' appearances and then and hit that goal, so that was a nice moment for him. The other one was that Saris are still unbeaten six from six, and but they just fell short of the record because yes. no team has ever gathered 30 points in the first six 
matches of a premiership season and they didn't score four tries so they're still on 29 but hell of a start from them hell of a start and I think if you said at the start of the season you won't get the 30 points you'll get 29 they might they might have taken it yeah just, just might have taken it but you know I, I've seen them this year they're tremendous um and again I, I know we want to be positive and, and we are but it is absolutely ludicrous that Sale and Saracens have to fight uh out a great match this Sunday with what third teamers says um, don't forget Saracens have got all their English contingent they've got a few uh, USA players they've got a Samoan Welsh players and actually it is ludicrous I mean is it any one of the club games struggling but it's watchable and more people should come along and watch it I, I take a club game over international any day, any day. well the, the third stat I was going to say on that is that was something I was looking up for my statistical Monday more thing for time subscribers and just looking at the beginning of the seasons, the Premiership always makes a deal about it's the closest league in the world in terms of results. And they're spot on on that because in the six weeks of fixtures we've had, just shy of 50% of Premiership matches have been decided by seven points or fewer. 17 out of 35, which included that Exeter game. And if you compare that to the top 14, they've had 41%. And the URC have had 26%. So in terms of close matches their league of their own they are and to think that the majority of games um whatever happens they can they can switch with the last kick of the match is 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 sensational and that's why it's always been so good and and that's why we we want strong teams in there all the way so you never get the 50 or 60 you know the urc i think last yesterday's game we make mentioned in newport was the first one that's ever been in the balance till sorry the first one for ages that was in the balance the premiership is so compelling and that stat you you just you just mentioned then will is the reason why well the other one that was close on the weekend was the one i was at um london irish gloucester and it was an odd one because the winning kick came 20 minutes before the end of the game and there were no other points it ended 22 21 remarkable effort from adam hastings have you seen that steve the Drop goal from his own half. I was yeah. because I was people who haven't had to write a match report on a Friday night up against deadline might not get this, but you don't actually watch a lot of the games sometimes because you're desperately looking at your laptop. And I didn't realise that he hit it from his own half. I thought it was about 35 metres out and had written as much, and then just checked it on the clip that BT Sport put out, which I think has got 400,000 views or something over the weekend. Um, and so he'd hit it from his own half and it's quite funny Nick Mullins was saying he reckoned he'd hit it from the pagoda in Kew Gardens do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know what that, that's uh, a great blow in the in the, in the the controversy between uh, Finn Russell and Hastings they're both lovely lads mm. but, you know, they, I mean I'm not, I'm not saying that's why Adam did it but what a moment of pure brilliance and yeah, skill yeah. I don't think you could have done that in the old days on Kingsome where there was four foot of mud <laughs> but uh, with these new services uh, just God, God bless him he's a lovely lad and, and, and he's his, his father and his and his uncle were great men. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So on those both games, actually, we should probably cover off a bit of news because there are a hell of a lot of injuries. We'll start at Irish, where the first thing that happened was Henry Arundel started hobbling about 12 minutes in, played on for about another five or six, um, including kicking off the foot that he'd hurt, which looked a bit random, and then eventually went off and the news is that it seems like he hasn't broken or sprained his foot which is good um, but had to leave the ground on crutches which was kind of a precaution Mm. Um, it looks like he probably will go to England's camp in Jersey this week but how much training he'll be able to do is another thing and then that was compounded by 
Johnny May, who was trying to defend a crossfield kick that Ben Loder caught, wriggled past him and scored amazingly, but May fell and landed on his elbow. And it was one of those really grim ones you don't want to watch mm-hmm. back because mm-hmm. his his arm went all floppy and it was, oh, it was not very nice. Um, and we've learnt today that, as we suspected, he has dislocated his elbow um, and left the ground in a huge red padded arm brace thing. So that's really unfortunate for him because he's only just come back from a massive six-month injury. And then you go to your game and Owen Farrell gets concussed, mm. which Mark McCall said afterwards means he'd probably have to stand down for at least 12 days. Mm. And if you're counting from the weekend, that'll be the... Fr- the twelfth day is the Friday before England Argentina. We now we also know that Courtney Laws is not going to Jersey. We'll find out later today after we've recorded this podcast whether Farrell's able to, which he might not be. So that's two potential England captains not going to Jersey on this training camp. And then the other one was Luke Cowandicki, who hurt his knee. He's being scanned today as well. And England have got a bit of a nightmare at hooker because Jamie George has broken his foot. Luke Cowandicki might have done his knee. Um the only guys left in the squad are George McGuigan from Newcastle and Jack Singleton at Gloucester, who's kind of been the second choice at Gloucester behind Sassino. So mm. where do we go from here with England and their injuries, Steve? Uh, uh, do you know what? I, just for last first, I don't think George McGuigan will let anyone down. I think he's a great player. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the things is, I think what's worse than injuries, almost worse than having people out, is not knowing till late. Mm. And, I mean, I don't think Owen... They're not going to know till they're not going to know till Thursday, really, and and then the day they usually pick the team as well. Well, well, exactly, they're going to have to guess if they pick him. But then you've well, they might have to guess. But then, you know, even for someone as monumentally important as Farrell, do you want to start guessing and do you you name him in the team and hope he's fit two days later? Because if he isn't, you've then got to change your ten. And his head injuries as well. It's it's hard to guess on things like that, isn't it? And they're very emotional. You see, these these days, um, if anyone. Is is deemed to be even playing a little tiny bit with the protocols. Everyone comes down on them, and prob- probably rightly. So that's a really difficult one. Cohen Dickey's playing well. You don't want to go to your third choice hooker, really, even if, even if it is McGuigan. Uh, Johnny May, I think, is, was fortunate to be in the squad. I yeah. really apolo- apologise, but uh, I don't think Johnny is anything like he was a couple of years ago, and I think they've got better players there. But wishing well, and if he does get picked, hope he's fit, but it, I, I don't see that. We're gonna, if the, he is, Well, he's going to be out, and if Arundel can't quite make it, they're going to need to find some pace in the back line, and we'll learn from Sam James a bit later about May's replacement, Tom Roebuck at Sale, sounds like a pacey winger, but... And they might have to find a new captain. I mean, who would you, at this point, have as a, a captain if both Laws and Farrell aren't available? Genge? Yes, I think I probably would. Um, I think I was slow to start appreciating him, but maybe that was my fault. Uh, and I think I would, um, because you either go for a calm, or not calm, wouldn't call it Owen calm all the time, but he's a steely leader, never, never gets put off his game, or you go for someone like Courtney who says, right, follow me, lads. Ellis Genge is not quite either of those, but to have someone of his presence and his ability to talk and to talk to the ref and to talk to the media is very important. And I think maybe he's not the most outrageously brilliant technical captain, but I think it would be him. And I think probably he may have been in contention anyway, yeah. eventually. He's already been in the leadership group and a vice captain. And the, when everyone else was off playing for the Lions, he was kind of the de facto captain behind Lewis Ludlow, 
who made his debut as the captain, which was a remarkable thing. Um, but yeah, we'll find out a bit later who's in and who's out of that jersey camp and let you know via the Times and everything else. The other two games in the Prem, going back to those, Bath have won a match, Steve. Yeah, they have. and uh, Unbelievable. I, they have, and it was just so lovely because the Bath crowd, you know, I mean, they, they would have would have been dead last year if, if there'd been relegation. I've also seen them in other years when they were really, really low, and that crowd has never... Not one person has ever deserted them, as far as I can see. And it must be lovely for them. I've got a lot of mates there and a lot of lovely memories, and it was nice that they won. Not so good for Northampton, because we're suddenly, after really backing Northampton at the start, suddenly we're finding the old weaknesses and the inconsistencies mm. there already. But great for Bath, and um, uh, they, they just hope they carry on. I, I don't think anyone thought that uh, they'd pick the right coaching group for this season, but it's a bit like the Prime Minister. You you may think he's an idiot, but uh, if you've picked him and he wins, well, he's not an idiot. Yeah, well... So, fair, fair enough. I mean, look, good luck to them. It was, it was nice that they won. And again, as you said just then... We want the Premiership to to have to have shocks. We don't we don't want any foregone conclusions. Yeah, just on that note of, of tying Bath to Prime Ministers, I put out a, a cheeky tweet the other day. That was the first time they'd won for 154 days, in which time the UK has had two Prime Ministers, two monarchs, three Home Secretaries, and four Chancellors. So. Been a I read that. that was a great line. That's a, that's a great line. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one um, was Sunday, and Quinns always go up to sale and lose. They haven't won there since 2015, but it seemed to me watching it that Sale were determined to kick high over Tommy Allen and put loads of pressure on a fullback who'd basically never played fullback, and that was working. But Smith found a way, sort of Matador style, and found little gaps, and they. They won quite easily in the end. We, we're going to speak to um, to Sam in a minute uh, later, but I would guess they're absolutely furious with themselves because that was the game. It, it, it had a much bigger crowd. Uh, it would have extended their challenge at the top before their internationals go. Quinns have not been remotely good this year, uh, as as good this year as they were last year. Mainly some 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 of it because of injuries. I bet you that they and their marketing team and their owner are really annoyed that, that, that they they lost. And I, I, I saw the game and I, I get it that they were kicking, but when you've got uh, carriers like 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 Sam James and and and, and Manu Tulagi and and powerful men, I just don't see why you keep on kicking it. If you carry it, if Manu carries it up. He's always going to interest two defenders, maybe three, and and then you can go from there. And and, and I think really, they got too much into their policy, uh, their tactics, and they missed a chance. And and Harlequins were the deserved winners. Yeah, well, why don't we chat to Sam James next? He's coming up on the ruck in a bit, talking about the start of their season and that Harlequins game yesterday. So next on the ruck, Sam James from Sale Sharks. Right, Sam, so thanks so much for coming on the ruck. Um, you're 24 hours on for that result against Harlequins yesterday. It must have been a little bit disappointing, but great start to the season so far anyway. Second in the league and then top side. Saracen's up next. How are you guys all feeling up north? Yeah, a little bit frustrated with yesterday's performance. Um, I think a lot of what we've been doing well, we kind of didn't do yesterday. I think we've been playing some nice attacking rugby. 
um, shifting that point of contact and, and really stretching teams, really using our big boys in in better areas rather than letting them run at brick walls all all night. But um, no, it's been going really well for us, and we're enjoying the style of rugby we're playing. I think that's that's showing on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, as we said, great start to the season. Five from six. Can you kind of explain to us what particularly has clicked this season, or anything that happened over the summer that's kind of crystallising for you all this season? Um, I think we obviously had a good pre-season. Um, the training load that we did, we worked hard over pre-season, and then I think just the addition of a, a few people: you, Flats, Johnny Hill, George Ford, as well. Um, George, George probably been the catalyst for. Um, the way we're moving the point of contact at the moment, he speaks really well in meetings and he explains himself very well as well, makes it very understanding for the rest of the squad. Even though he's out there on the training field, he walks you through what sort of scenarios we're looking at and how we can best stretch teams. So I think one of the biggest things for us is, like I mentioned earlier, is not letting those forwards kind of, what most teams do is run at a brick wall, a set defence. It's all about moving that point of contact, letting them run at half shoulders and the the big fellas that we've got there are, are powerful going through those gaps. So uh, I think George had a massive part to play in talking us through that and, and showing us how to do that. And I think it's just then taken a life of its own and we've just been improving week on week. Yeah. As a centre, how has he changed the way you're looking at attacking the game and maybe some defending as well? Yeah, well, attacking wise, just having confidence, really. Just having confidence to organise the shape and then off the back of that, just um, get your hands on the ball. We work really well when we get our, our ball into the shape that we want to play. So it's about getting the ball to that edge. So it's about stepping up as centres, wingers, fullbacks, whoever you are, and and using your footwork, using your ability, getting us that half a break on the outside that we can play front football with. Um, and then just defensively, I think force is a big part to play in that, but just our, our rook speed and our time in tackle, just making sure that we are dominating that and that we are then set as a line that we can come off the line with a bit of uh, line speed. Yeah. Rob Dupree is obviously having quite a, a decent start to the season at 10, but is it exciting too that obviously you haven't had George Ford play yet, but he hopefully is back just before Christmas or maybe just around Christmas. So you've you've got options to come in too. Yeah, no, massively. It's really exciting that he's going to come back into, into the fold. Um, but like you said, Rob's been playing unreal. Um He's probably in that team of the week every week and deservedly so because he's been doing some great stuff on the pitch. He's a triple threat, really, in terms of his organising. And then off the back of it, he's got great footwork, a great kicking game. So he's always keeping the point of contact moving, um, always playing into our strengths. So whether that's our kicking game, getting the likes of Roebuck, Flats, competing in the air, um, allowing us to kind of get on the front foot in different ways, not just be trying to thump up um, defences. Sam and Steve here, I, I just wanted, it's irresistible whenever Manu Tuolangi's in the team to ask his co-centres what is like. What is it like playing alongside him. He's a massive figure, massive, you know, apart from his injuries, poor lad, but uh, he's now back. What is it like playing alongside him? Is it playing, like playing next to a tank? Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I was lucky enough to kind of watch him growing up as well, so it's kind of a bit surreal when he first came into the squad. It's kind of like playing with one of your heroes almost, but yeah. he's incredible player just the way he sees the game the way he understands it and then obviously his physical prowess off the back of it but it's the way he enjoys every part of it he made a I think he made a hit against Bath a couple of weeks ago on one of their flankers and 
absolutely rocked him, sent him like skidding across the floor. But being outside of him, I could hear him laughing all the way through it. <laughs> He must have enjoyed every second of it. He knew obviously what was going to happen and then just enjoyed every part of it. So he's always got a smile on his face, always wants to enjoy that side of it. And that obviously rubs off on other people around him. So clearly, clearly what you're suggesting that, I mean, people look upon him as a, as a ferocious, you know, rhinoceros figure. What you're saying is he, he understands the game and, uh, and it takes it very seriously, but he can also, you know, he's also plays heads up as well. Yeah, massively. I mean, we do clips every week together because we have our, our set groups to do analysis on different teams and the way he understands the game is second to none. So learning off him is a massive thing for me as well and, and little things he can tip me up on. But then again, it's just the, the confidence of having someone of his physical ability next to you as well that gives you that no, you know you're going to get front football. You know that defences are going to be worried about him in the first place. So he's, he's a massive character on the pitch for us. Have you played him at chess or done any salsa dancing with him? That was him last season after his injury, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I've never, I've never done salsa dancing with him. I think he would sweep me off my feet, literally. But um, <laughs> no, I played him at chess a couple of times, and it, it didn't go too well. He's doing really well at the moment. He plays online on chess on his phone, and okay. he's trying to get to the rating where you are classified as a grandmaster or whatever wow, it may okay. be. So he's not far off that, which is. Really impressive, actually. But he does, there's so many things. You can't play him at anything. You play him at pool, he'll beat you at pool. You play him at chess, he'll beat you at chess. He makes coffees for the whole squad. He's, he is, he's quality to have around the building. He loves his latte art, doesn't he? He's quite good at the, putting swans in the top of coffees and stuff like that, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's unreal. Like Even today, we were talking about how he's bought a grinder for the coffee for all the boys. So that's put a smile on everyone's faces. <laughs> and as soon as you see him in the coffee room at sale, everyone's kind of hovering around because he offers out coffees like he may, he may, may as well just stand there and be a barista all day but <laughs> everyone wants a coffee for him because he makes it the best so. yeah so Sam um, we, there's a lot of talk always about um, your, your incoming players you know these South Africans whoever they may be then Manu then George came up but there's a real hard core of you who've, who've come up with the club and have always been or almost always been sailed sale players um, is, is do you see this as a because they are your in in effect your home club do you still see the sale thing as a kind of crusade uh, for a stat to establish and then to start winning stuff yeah I think so massively I think that's um, I think that's passed down from the owners to the coaching staff as well I think the crop we've even brought through this year and there's still probably more to come the likes of Tom Roebuck, Joe Carpenter, Connor Doherty was unlucky to get an injury out at the start, but then you've got the likes of Rafi Bevan, all people who are established in the Prem now. Um, I think it's massive for not only the community, but the lads in the academy already to kind of see that there is a, a very high chance that you're going to come through this pathway and be trusted to to join in the first team. Everyone trains with the first team. Everyone is swapping in and out. So everyone knows the structures. Everyone knows everyone. So you get comfortable with playing so that when you do get your call up, it's not a big shock to you. It's not that many nerves because it's something you've been doing week in, week out. What, what um, happens when uh, there's going to be a social and all the local lads or the sale lads uh, come out and then all the South Africans come out? Do you have a sort of an argument as to whether you're going to have a braai or some sort of Mancunian night out? Uh, no, to be fair, it's usually everyone just loves a good drink. We can agree on one thing. Really, South African the fact that you like to drink, so uh, everyone gels well together, and that's one of the things we kind of worked on over pre-season was just that um, that bond, really, that togetherness. 
Um, so we did a lot of stuff going away and camping and stuff like that. And it's it's a great it's a great atmosphere to be around. I think that's one thing Sale prides itself on is kind of not really having that ego. Um, so you sit with everyone, you like everyone, have conversations with everyone, and it kind of grows together that squad. Where do you go camping, Sam? Uh, I didn't actually go. I was at a, a wedding, but we went oh, last right. year. We went to Snowden, uh, and then this year they went down to just south of Bath um, okay. for a bit of camping and then some survival training. I think. All right, nice. Okay. Anyone yeah. who's top of the list on that for survival training? I think someone like Ross Harrison, to be honest with you. Mm, okay. That man's a machine, yeah, and I think he could happily go into the army one day and and, and do really well. Yeah. Just on Steve's um, question about the sort of crusade at sale. Obviously, yeah. there's problems in rugby at the moment, isn't there? We know about what's happened with Wasps and Worcester, but can you talk to us about, I don't know, trying to grow rugby in the northwest of England and that a challenge, but also the sort of joy you get seeing more fans coming to the ground as a, as a bloke who's been at the club for 10 years and through the academy and from the area and all that, and what maybe we could do better at getting more people through the door and competing in an area where football's so dominant? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I was going to say. The, the the hard bit is kind of trying to compete with obviously the United and City um, grounds being so close. But no, I, I think with the catchment area we've got, we've kind of only got us and Newcastle who are really up north. So the catchment area for us should be massive. And then off the back of that, it's just trying to make the whole experience as family friendly and as uh, inviting for people as possible, whether that's trying to get links to the ground better so that we can people can come on a, a Friday night, Saturday night and have a, a couple of drinks at the at the stadium and then not have to worry about driving home. Um, and then again, off the back of it, I think it's just trying to spread the word, um, kind of override that football mentality and get people wanting to come down to rugby. Mm-hmm. Again, that plays part and parcel with the way we play um, and playing an exciting brand of rugby because people aren't going to want to come down to um, the AJ Bell on a, a Friday night when it's hammering down with rain and it's a 6-3 win or a 6-3 loss we want to be playing rugby that people want to come watch so that's on us as well to be kind of fulfilling that um fulfilling that uh performance level so that we can almost entice people coming in because they, they see that we're doing so well and they see that the, the rugby that we're playing one of the marketing things which is quite cool i don't know what you make of it is the shirts isn't it one the home shirts the blue shirt and the away shirts the red shirt and isn't it the strap line something along the lines of whether you're red or blue you can be a shark yeah, no, yeah, that was real clever match, and I, I really liked the, the video they did at the start of preseason for that about um, being the northern club and getting everyone down. And we have such a good um, relationship with all the fans as well. And Alex is massive on that; he's always inviting people down to the the training ground, whether it's local coaches and stuff like that, so they can learn off us. Or a couple of fans have come in for experiences around the place. So I think that's massive for us, just creating that bond with the the base that we've already got to then grow that. Yeah, absolutely. We must ask you about Tom Robert. You mentioned him a couple of times too. Looks like he's going to come into the England squad in place of Johnny May, who's injured. Um, what's he like? What do you like about him as a guy who plays outside you? No, he's unbelievable. I, I was saying this to me and Rob were having a conversation about him the other day, just how much he's matured over the past year. Um, just in the way that he kind of speaks on the field, his work rate, um, and then the stuff he does off the field as well, the little bits of analysis he's doing, the extras he does at training. Um, and then just all around is sort of like he gyms now with both the Dupree brothers, which I find right. quite amusing. So they're all they obviously lift ridiculous weights, <laughs> but he's joining in with them, getting 
hyped off them and, and lifting bigger weights and trying to improve in every area he can. So I think it's massive for him that, well, I think it's great for him that he's been called up because he deserves it. Yeah. And rapid? How quick is he? Yeah, he's very quick, actually. Um, there's a bit of a, a toss-up at the training, whether who's the fastest in the squad, to be honest with you. Um, between him, Aaron Reed, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna miss one name out, and they're gonna kill me. But <laughs> him, Aaron Reed, um, Byron McGugan and Flats yeah. will race off to to see who's fastest, and they do the GPS scores each week. And I think, I think Reedy's got the fastest um, recorded time this year. But I think they're all trying to beat that still. They're claiming it. Reedy ran it when he was um, had the wind at his back. So, so <laughs> it's wind assisted. What numbers yeah. are they hitting? I'm just sort of 10.5 metres per second is usually about very quick territory, isn't it? Do yeah. you know what numbers they're on? I think really hit a 10.3 maybe. Okay. And that was only two, three weeks ago. And that was actually at training. So the boggy grounds for Carrington um, probably did slow him down a bit. <laughs> so I'd, I'd love to see him go in a game and he's to get a, either an interception or be chasing down a kick and you'll really see how fast they can go. But no, Robux class. So rapid, a great aerial threat, which is playing into our hands fantastically. He seems to win every single ball he goes up for. And I don't know how he does it. He's got the hang time of Michael Jordan, but <laughs> uh, really well deserved to get in that in the squad. Yeah. Well, last one before we let you go. Um, Sarri's next on Sunday. They're unbeaten at the moment. Um, the last minute win against the Chiefs on the weekend. Obviously, yeah. with Alex Sanderson, the coach, it's sort of going home, isn't it? for him um, what are the challenges coming up against them they might not have all of their England internationals and stuff but w- what are you looking at them particularly for this week yeah well, they're a quality outfit and they, they know exactly what their game plan is so it's kind of taking that and, and adapting it to the way we want to play as well so we know it's going to be a con- contest in the air they don't like to play too much rugby um, and then they've got a great defence that will come off the line at us so it's all about kind of in, in, imposing our game on them winning those aerial battles, winning that territory battle and then coming alive off the back of it. We're obviously in tomorrow to do a load of analysis on it, but I think from the previous games we've played them, it'll be a tight old affair. So it's kind of keeping the cool, keeping your mentality cool in the in the tough times and kind of winning those every little small battle that will eventually, hopefully, brings out on top. Perfect, Sam. Well, good luck for that. Um, everyone's looking forward to that. I think one versus two in the Prem's always tasty isn't it and thanks so much for coming on the rock not a problem at all thank you I've enjoyed it right great to hear from Sam James there and Sailor playing Saracens on the weekend which should be a belter one versus two in the premiership but Steve before we move on to Jess Hayden who's going to talk to us all about the Women's World Cup both of us were writing and talking to people about central contracts last week Um, you wrote a piece in the Sunday Times about it me and Alex Lowe wrote about it in the week two what are your feelings on it? It was just to cover it off. Bill Sweeney was the one who kind of intimated that there could be a nuclear option, as he said. Um, but it seems like the the clubs are not so keen. Is that about fair? Not so keen? <laughs> cover it off. Tell you what, we can cover it off with a funeral shroud. There is no way in a million years there will be central contracts. I think the clubs are 11-0 against, and I've checked that carefully. There is no way there'll be central contracts. If there are central contracts, you have Conor O'Shea running the whole game at Twickenham. They've got no professional, apart from Conor, they've got no professional structure there. They're hidebound. They're old-fashioned. You've got everything they do is referred on to another committee and, and whatnot. 
they are absolutely hopeless. They haven't got a clue. And the players are the only assets that the the, the, the clubs have, b- b- apart from their grounds and their, and their infrastructure. There is no way central contracts will work. They've been a disaster everywhere bar Ireland, and the only reason they work there is because the teams were already established. It's a rubbish concept. I expect you and, and Alex Lowe to take a far harder line than the namby-pamby <laughs> way you treated it last week. They're dead in the water. It's really good to have Steve back, but I think you've changed. You've softened. I'm, I'm, what's happened? What happened to you? <laughs> they could have had him in 1995. Yeah, yeah. They d- didn't want him then. This, yeah, the moratorium, the famous moratorium. What I would say on, on all of it is that at this point where we're in crisis mode, I don't think any idea is a bad idea. And the fact that we're starting, we should be starting with pretty much a blank sheet of paper. We should be welcoming all sorts of ideas. But yes, it does seem that um, that's not going to be the answer. And actually, there were, spoke to Lance Bradley at Gloucester on the record. Um, he was quoted in the Times in the week, kind of saying, look, the plans that they have or want to have for the new structure of the Premiership, which may be a 10-team league with fewer overlaps, would mean that there wouldn't be a need for so- central contracts because there'd be fewer times when the country is pulling away from the clubs and all that. And that's what we need to get to, really, isn't it? Fewer overlaps between tests and the club games so that Sale and Saracens like this weekend has a full bore set Abs- of 23 absolutely in, interesting there's, there's one quote I loved I'll be very brief on the weekend and that was the, the Premiership Premier Rugby uh, Premiership Rugby is, 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 is populated and dominated by a group of owners and I thought that the, the Sale Chief Executive Sid Sutton came out and said it is about time that Premiership Rugby was not run by a group of old owners. They should bring in new people, a new executive. And I thought that was very brave of him and totally on the market. Slightly better idea than having all the players contracted to Twickenham where they die a death. Yeah, well, I think that is a view echoed across the league where they've got a pretty strong executive there with Simon Massey-Taylor, Nigel Melville and mm. Martin Phillips. They have. And there's a lot of people in the game now saying, let's just empower them to make decisions on our behalf. And if you're happy with 80% of them over the season, that's pretty good. And if yeah. you're happy with 10% of them, you get rid of the executives. That's how it works. Yeah. But anyway, there'll be more of that um, on future rucks and in the Times and in the Sunday Times because it's a story that's not going away. But um, next on the ruck, we're going to speak to Jess Hayden who's going to take us to New Zealand and the Women's World Cup. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Right, so now on the right, we're joined by Jess Hayden live in the studio. We often do these on Zoom, Jess, but you're here. Hello. Yeah, it's lovely to see you. How was your women's watching weekend? What were you waking up early in the morning for? I watched the Wales match and the England match, which I felt was just enough that I needed to watch live and the rest I've watched on catch up yeah just couldn't face being awake completely during the night especially because <laughs> I was working this weekend so I had to kind of finish watching the rugby and then start a eight hour shift so okay. yeah I had to be selective in, in what I watched this weekend what's that analogy of the, the duck on the surface with the, the the legs paddling underneath that's Jess Hayden <laughs> working hard oh, early. Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically just fueled by coffee at this point yeah, yeah, about exactly. 90% coffee you're purely flat white all the way through <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk through them then it was a mixture of kind of blowout results and some close ones what was your eye drawn to over the weekend Jess well, I did think that the Australia-Wales game was particularly good to watch. I think if you're a Wales fan, you disagree with that. There were some real basic mistakes made by Wales constantly throughout the whole match, and that was a struggle. They were just poorly timing their kicks, making really bad decisions um, with the ball. The penalty count was huge. I think it was a real struggle um, for them, but it was a, a really kind of a good battle and you felt even in up until maybe the last 20 minutes that either side could have won it but realistically I think by the end of that match I was thinking Australia should be two tries ahead at this point and um, it was just some real strong defensive work from Wales that stopped that happening and of course you know the the England match 75 nil not to be sniffed at but not the most interesting match it was quite boring at times you knew exactly what was going to happen it was going to be a line out and a more line out more and they were going to eventually power over but that being said really impressed by Rosie Galligan watching her was great and you do get to see some of these stars like Connie Powell coming through and think the Red Rose of the future it was nice to see them um but yeah, definitely not one to that I'll remember in 10 years' time. I don't yeah. think that match. Steve, you off-air, you were saying that's not a great, really, result for women's rugby, 75-0 between... No, no it's it's not. I, uh, what the, the good thing about it was at least everyone at the end of the tournament will have said, well, at least I got a chance. Or almost everyone said at least I got a chance, chance to go out there. It, it, it's not a great result. Um, and uh, as Jess says... It, you know, we've just been talking um, earlier about the closeness of the Premiership. That's when you get the bite in the game. And I, I, I thought it was disappointing. Good that they all got action. I just thought that their their, their tactical straitjacket that they played under, where they kept their game plan all all the way when they didn't need to, were, 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 was, was boring as hell. Do you think, Jess, that this is all part of a master plan to... Um pull the wool over the eyes and say, oh, all, all we've got is a driving ball and then suddenly burst into life in the quarters and semi-finals? Or is it, that's, is it that that's too complicated? Well, I think that's what Simon Middleton wants us to believe. He said, we, you know, we've got to play it smart, that there are some very smart managers and coaches who are heading into the quarterfinals and then, well, you know, semi-finals and final as well. And so you can't put all your cards on the table. I think that we saw in the warm-up matches of the World Cup, that there was a there was a bigger focus on the back line. So one thing that that Simon Middleton said was that a target of those warm up matches was improving the communication between the back line, not having f careless forced passes and stuff like that. And we saw a lot of tries coming from the back line then in the warm up matches. And since the World Cup started, it has been more, 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 more. So I personally think, yeah, I think once we get into the semi final stage and potentially the final stage. England will bring out their backline more. 
I, yeah. I saw, you know, it took ages for the backs to get their hands on the ball mm. in the, uh, against South Africa. And it just felt like it was a good chance to have a run out for them. It took, you know, until the last 20 minutes, I think, until the backs really got their hands on the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think hopefully that's something that they're considering. And we know from 2017 in that final, Sarah Hunter said that New Zealand came out after half time and played a completely different match, mm. a type of style of play they'd never seen before. And I think England are basically trying to replicate something like that. Um, but I think they'll have to, they'll probably have to rig it out a bit sooner. Yeah. I reckon that, you know, countries are, are, are not dumb. They can see what's, what's happening at the lineup more and they're challenging it more than ever. Mm. Right. So next for England in the early hours of the morning is a course final against Australia. And the ridiculous thing about that, we've talked about kickoff times a lot over this tournament is that because the clocks are changing in the UK, the second half is going to kick off before the first half. Because <laughs> it kicks off at 1.30am, does it? And the clocks change at 2am? Yep. Yeah, so it's, it's very confusing, isn't it? And I think especially for those of us who are going to be waking up at that time to watch the match, it's going to feel incredibly confusing. Um, at least it means that I get an extra hour to nap before I start work. So there's <laughs> yeah, that at true. least. That's what I'm holding on to. Yeah. So is there anything in the Australia team that would worry England? Do you think they haven't actually played each other for quite a while, have they, because of COVID and everything else? Yeah, they haven't played each other that recently. I think that what Australia showed against Wales certainly was an incredibly strong forward pack. They were able to tackle well. They they're defensively were, were excellent and they were really forcing um, penalties for Wales. And it, So I think that England will have to be clinical against Australia. But I think realistically there's only one clear winner in that match for me and that's that's England. I don't think this is like a huge hurdle in their way or mm. anything like that. Yeah, and if they win that, it's likely they're semi-final against Canada. You'd probably expect them to beat the USA, would you? Yeah. Absolutely. So it's on that side of the semi-final draw, it's England versus Australia and then Canada versus the USA. Um, the Canada beat the USA 29-14 just last weekend. Canada have looked excellent for two years now really whereas the USA have been crumbling and that's partly because so many of the USA players are playing over in the Premier 15s which means that they have very little time together as a squad and Rob Kane the head coach has been very open about his struggles with that and also just a lack of investment over in the USA Canada have some excellent players who will really um who've played USA a lot they know exactly where their weaknesses are I think that's a very clear Canada win for me there's always one upset in the World Cup I don't think it's Canada USA I think it's France Italy yeah, but I'm hoping that we get it at the quarter final stage yeah. I'm hoping we have at least one upset so nothing is as predictable as maybe we keep saying it is yeah so the other side of the draw is France Italy and New Zealand Wales and New Zealand thrashed Wales earlier in the tournament didn't they but yeah do you reckon Italy have got a chance there against the French you definitely can't write off Italy. They obviously have the Six Nations experience, which is very helpful to them. They beat France 26-19 in their last fixture. France did win 21-0 the week before, but Italy do have um, some real strength there. France obviously depleted with the with Lausanne Zeus being injured. They France planned their game around the nine and Pauline Bourdon is a really good replacement at nine for Lausanne Zeus. But Sanzeus for me, she was a player of the tournament Six Nations. Her loss will be is 
is felt hugely by France and I'm sure it will be as the matches only get harder in the quarterfinal, semi-final and potentially final stages. So yeah, I think um, that's a that's a, a close match. I can ima- I think France will probably um, pip that and, and just get past Italy and then they'll almost certainly face New Zealand in the semi-final. Obviously, New Zealand beat Wales 56-12 in the pool stages, were completely dominant. Wales were lucky to get the points they did. Um, fitness just completely ran out by the second half. Um, can't imagine a different scoreline to that. I think it'll be a New Zealand win for sure. I, I just, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves now, but in three years' time, it's going to be in England, and it is vital, vital, vital that more teams come through. So on the weekend, obviously, I'd, I'd like to see England come through, but it is vital that Italy push France all the mm. way, even if they don't don't win. Vital that Wales do. Canada USA is a, should be a winnable game for the USA. I'm sorry they they got their problems, but it is vital those two teams come through as well you you then want Ireland to make a big comeback yep. South Africa must could not be as bad as that they must be better next time if the, if there are 16 teams in three years we want to see in this quarter final draw we want to see the the teams who are rising up because mm-hmm. if we can get if we can get fewer uh, wipeouts in 2025 it's going to make the, the the women's international game for all time so Jess, you're going to be back with your special women's pod on Wednesday and that's at the time where our colleague Elgin Alderman's going to be flying to New Zealand so he's going to be arriving on Friday just yep. in time for the quarterfinal. so Times readers will be able to read match reports from New Zealand for the last stage of the game but should we end on a, a goddess of the week? Are you going to nominate one before we let you go back to your day job? Yeah, um, I'm going to nominate Rosie Gallagher for a few reasons. Rosie doesn't have a contract for England. She's a phenomenal player. And really, the last year, her fitness has improved massively. She's in incredible shape and is doing very well. Um, Rosie beat meningitis a few years ago to play for England. She also had um, what's, what, what is still a taboo subject. She had to have a breast reduction to be able to play uh, rugby at the level she wanted to play, which she did. And she's been very open talking about that and is supporting others with that and creating sports bras that are made for women with large chests. And it is a taboo subject, but I think it's a re- really good work she's doing off the pitch. As well as on the pitch, just incredible work rate. And you can see her... Uh, mentorship she's had from Marley Packer because she plays like Marley um, and Marley with perhaps a bit more speed in her game as well and I think Rosie Gallagher a year ago I wouldn't have put her I might not have even put her on the plane to New Zealand and now I think that she could come out of this tournament as the best player for England if not one of the top top three maybe but I would say she's got a good chance at being the best player they're really impressed by her this week so Rosie Galligan's my nomination for goddess of the week that's an awesome nomination Jess really really good story that isn't it so time for us to pick our gods goddesses devils of the week Steve where are you going for yours well the devils of the week would be anyone who backs up central contracts <laughs> um but um Rio Dyer is um a Welsh uh, the Welsh right wing Newport Dragons wing who's just got into the Welsh squad absolutely uh, blisteringly quick incredibly youthful and obviously still got a lot to do but on on sunday uh, newport dragons beat the ospreys and the dragons have been slowly coming up but only slowly but they got a really significant win in what i thought for for the for the tournament itself was a really really fast 
tough and close game. Uh, so much of the Welsh stuff had been so slow. Rio scored two electric tries, including the match clincher, when Newport only had 13 men, almost in the last act of the match. So Rio, Rio drives my god of the week. And also, I'm just hoping that he set off a forest fire for the Welsh club rugby scene. There you go. So I think I'm going to go to uh, Brentford on Friday. Um, and actually, later today for the mall, I've, my top item is about this bloke. I just thought he was really, really good. Val Rapava Ruskin, the loose head for Gloucester. And there was one clip that I'm trying to put out of my mall where it, so he played the full 80 minutes which is remarkable in itself and George Skivington tried to play it down afterwards and said oh it was a bit of a stop start game but any prop who plays a full 80 is doing pretty well in my book and particularly special was he made a tackle in the 79th minute where I reckon he ran at least 50 metres there was a box kick that went over he was part of the caterpillar ruck and then the ball went all the way to the other wing and he stopped Will Joseph on the left hand side having tracked him the whole way so fair play to Big Val and I was sitting there trying to work out if his name could work in the Ra Ra Rasputin song but I can't work it out so if anyone can do that then you could be my god as well but the god of the week for me Val Rapava Ruskin possibly the first Val to play for England this autumn maybe if he can get beyond Genj Makabunapola Bevan Rod have a lot of loose heads <laughs> at the moment aren't there but right, so those have been our nominations and that has been The Ruck. Welcome back to Steve. Great to have you back, Steve. Where are you heading this weekend? Where are you going to be? This week I'm going to Harlequins and L- London Irish. So um, without the players, without without the key players, which I think is a tragedy. So, But there we go. So Jess, where are you going to be this weekend? It's a tough one for fans of women's rugby, isn't it? I will be watching from bed, 100%. I don't think I can even muster up the courage to go downstairs to put the telly on um, for these early kickoffs. It's France, Italy is at half four in the morning UK time uh, on Saturday. And then that will be followed by New Zealand, Wales at half seven a.m. Um, England, Australia is on Sunday at half one. I think I'm just going to stay up on Saturday night and just power through and watch that at half one. But if I've got a 4.30 start, I'm definitely going to need some naps in the day. (laughs) And then my weekend of rugby will finish with Canada, USA at half three on Sunday morning. So it's potentially an incredibly long weekend for me and I might be nocturnal. But yeah, I think... Uh, just a point on that really the kickoff times for this are obviously just awful for mm. European fans and England and France are where the biggest fan bases are and yet we have terrible kickoff times half four in the morning for in UK time for the France match and then half one in the morning for the England match and we're meant to be growing the game and growing the audiences and I just think this is an oversight in mm. my opinion New Zealand as host they get the home advantage they wanted the the latest Saturday kickoff to finish play on the Saturday. Totally get that. I think, you know, that makes sense. But the fans at home are also very important. The the stadiums there look empty to me. They don't look that busy. You see lots of friends and family. And I think as a viewer at home, I shouldn't be able to look in the crowd and go, well, there's that Shu Ann Lillycrap's mum. There's Cara Hope's mum. I shouldn't be able to spot the parents in the crowd, but that's because they're the only fans there that you know it feels to me like there's very little traveling support other than friends and family and the stadiums just don't look half full to me for a lot of these matches so mm. let's use the tv tv crowds and let's engage with them not kind of force them to wake up yeah. at one in the morning or four in the morning to watch the rugby and i think actually in new zealand 
not all of the games are live on free to air telly either. So it's not as yeah. if they're really benefiting their own audiences. So it's exactly. sort of six of one, half a dozen the other, and no one's winning. It's a bit but of a how strange. How can they one. go take the to- any tournament anywhere which doesn't guarantee free to air TV? Yeah, it's not great, is it? It's on Spark Sport, I think. Yeah, so yeah. it's not free to air. You have to sign up and, and yeah. watch it. Yeah, it's not great. You know, it's why I keep saying from before the tournament, I've said I'm looking forward to 2025 more than I'm looking forward to, yeah. to yeah. this tournament. So is everybody. There we go, right. So that has been The Ruck. Please like, subscribe and also tune in for Jess's special women's one on Wednesday that's coming out on your feeds. But for now, welcome back to everyone, welcome back to Steve and that has been The Ruck. So thanks very much for listening and see you next time. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.